0: The man I'm about to introduce really needs no introduction. Um, he was for, I think almost what, 17 years, Bishop of South Carolina? Uh, I was Bishop 14 years. I was a year and a
1: half getting there, and uh, it's been a year and a half since, so
0: okay, I guess so, you're right. So about 17 years, <laughs> and uh, as I said at the 8:15, he is proof, living proof, that there is no such thing as retirement in ministry. Um, because he did retire um, but um, has been called out of retirement and Bishop Lawrence is now serving as Bishop Emeritus of the diocese and he is making visitations. Bishop Edgar uh, realized that the schedule that Bishop Lawrence kept was not a a very practical schedule, it was grueling to say the least, visiting every parish every single year. Uh, That's very very difficult to do especially when parishes have multiple services And so he has decided to ask for some help. I said, he's like the man from Macedonia that said, come over here and help me. And Bishop Lawrence has agreed to do so. So he is seeing half of the parishes one year and Bishop Edgar is seeing the other half. And so we were graced with Bishop Edgar's presence last year for confirmation, and we are delighted to welcome back Bishop Lawrence for this year's confirmation. He delivered what I think was a very moving sermon at the 815 service, so uh, you're in for a treat when you come. Uh, it's always a blessing to have him. He's one of the great preachers of our time and certainly one of the great preachers within Anglicanism. So Bishop Lawrence, without further ado, I will turn it over to you. Welcome back to St. Philip's. We're delighted to have you.
1: Thank you, George. Well, thank you. He left out that I'm also the interim director of the Anglican Leadership Institute, which I hope I will not be after this year the interim director, but that will be someone else that God raises up for that job. But please join me in prayer as we begin this time. I will be speaking to the confirmands, but I hope I'll also be speaking some to you who at one time in your life perhaps were confirmed or perhaps at some future time you shall be. The Lord be with you. Come, Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. May this be your time that in the name of Jesus Christ you might move among us as the Father wills, touching our hearts, preparing these confirmations for the time that you will meet them. During this upcoming service, and preparing each of us for those daily visitations that you order in your wisdom. Speak through me, speak through your word, that your church may be strengthened, your kingdom spread, and that the Father's voice may be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am to to give some sort of preparatory talk to those of you who are being confirmed and those of you who will be part of this confirmation service. And those of you who are at the 8 o'clock, you already have played your part. Because you have worshipped the living God, received his sacrament, heard his word preached and read, and you have prepared that hall, that church, that building for what God will do next. So, those of you being confirmed, there are four actors, if you will, in your confirmation four actors who each play a role there is the congregation who will be there and at the appropriate time they will respond when they are asked whether they will do all in their power to see that you continue your walk in God's grace and spirit and they will say we will i say that because it's not just taken for granted You need to recognize that they have a role in the service and they need to recognize that they have a role in the service. If any of you watched any of the college or National Football League uh, games during COVID or watched a play performed during COVID by watching it on the television screen when there was no audience out in the hall... Nobody standing in the stadium, and they had piped in cheers and applause. Something did not feel the same. You have a role to play as the congregation. You see, a bee can fly around and crawl around collecting nectar all day long, but it takes a hive to make honey. And it takes the church of Jesus Christ to nurture, sustain, evangelize, grow, teach, and enable every Christian to become all that God intends for them to be. And so you have a role. You're one of the actors. The second actor, and perhaps of second importance, is me as bishop. You all learn that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace ordained by Christ, And some would say, or his church. Jesus uh, instituted two sacraments: the, uh, the sacrament of baptism, and the, and the sign in baptism. Do you anyone remember what is the sign in baptism? Water, thank you. Is there anything else besides the water? This is as important as the water. Without this, you can use all the water you want. You can drown a person in the water, and they will not be baptized without this. What is it? No, but that, that is often the case because afterwards someone will take some oil and make the sign of the cross on them. So that's at least you're right in that regard. But you can have a baptism without that. But you can't have a baptism without the name of God being spoken over them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God's name. And then the other sacrament was... There's about five names for this. Communion, Holy Eucharist, the Mass, the Divine Liturgy, the Lord's Supper. And the outward invisible sign in that is bread and wine. In the words that Jesus used at the Last Supper to institute the Lord's Supper. This is my body, which is given for you, raised up the cup. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And then there are these five, what I like to call the sacraments of the church. And one of them you are experiencing today, confirmation. Confirmation. In the outward and visible sign and confirmation is the laying on of hands of a bishop who stands in the line of the apostles. And there are five movements that I will do as I confirm you individually. I'll I'll do it to all all of you, but these five movements. And the first is I will place my hands upon your forehead... And you might feel the weight of the ages, 2,000 years of Christian history pressed upon your forehead. And I pray that you see in your mind's eye as my hands are on your forehead. I was consecrated as the 14th bishop of South Carolina. That day when I was consecrated, Bishop Fitzsimmons Allison, who was the 12th bishop, was there. Ed Salmon, as a 13th bishop, was there, and a slew of other bishops laid their hands upon me. So when my hands are placed upon your forehead, standing behind me is Bishop Ed Salmon, the 13th bishop, standing behind him, Bishop uh, Fitzsimmons Allison, the 12th bishop, standing behind him, Bishop Gray Temple, the 11th bishop, all the way back to Bishop Smith, the first bishop of South Carolina. And standing behind him, spiritually speaking, is the Bishop of London, who first sent priests over to this colony of South Carolina. And standing behind him is the Archbishop of Canterbury, who enthroned the Bishop of London as the Bishop of London, all the way back to Peter and Andrew, James and John. And in the midst of them, the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the ages. So when my hands are placed upon your forehead, Jesus Christ, The sacrificed Savior, risen from the dead, living today, is confirming you as part of the one church he started 2,000 years ago. He didn't start a bunch of churches. He started one of them. And we are part. And we as Anglicans would also say, Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Pentecostals are all part of the one church that Jesus Christ started 2,000 years ago. But we as Anglicans, which is the third largest body in all of Christendom, the first is Rome, the second is the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Bulgarian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, they can't get together any better than we can. (laughs) We are the third largest body of Christians in the world. And the vast majority of Anglicans are people of color. Here in the United States, we are mostly Caucasian. But around the world, we are many colors, many races, many countries, many ethnics, all serving the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when my hands are pressed upon your forehead, you are being confirmed as part of this body, 80 million around the world of Anglicans, and even more billions of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. The second thing I do to you is I take some oil and I make the sign of the cross on your forehead to remind you of what it costs God to make you his child. You see, the gospel is free, but it's not cheap. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you that you might know his saving grace and wonder and hope. So the sign of the cross, and I'll say something else about that if I have time. The third thing I do is I raise my hand and I invoke the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Confirmation is often spoken of as the sacrament of the Holy Spirit. It's spoken of the sacrament of the Holy Spirit because it was the apostles in the scriptures who laid their hands upon people and asked for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. When I signed your book of common prayer, which Mr. Al uh, Phillips will give to you, I put a verse in that. The verse is from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. And this is the verse. I remind you to rekindle the gift that is in you by the laying on of my hands. God, because God has not given you a spirit of fear. And there's a lot of fear in the world. There may be a lot of fear in your life. There may be a lot of fear in the lives of your parents. We live in, a, in what, for many people, I'm 73, what many of us in my generation see as a pretty scary world out there with a lot of challenges for people your age. But God has not given you a fearful spirit, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control and of a sound mind. So I raise my hand and invoke the Spirit of God to come upon you. Jesus used three prepositions to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. The night before he was crucified, in the upper room, he said to his disciples, I am going away, but I will not, I will not, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you another, like unto myself. That is everything that Jesus was in the life of his disciples when he walked this earth. He taught them. He rebuked them. He challenged them. He comforted them. He healed them. He did miracles for them. He gave them his peace. He led them. He nurtured them in the path another like myself, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but you will receive, because he will be with you, and in you. Prepositions, with, in. With, like a life jacket, in the white waters of life. Any of you ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody? Yeah, class three, class four, what was it? <laughs> a little float down a, a calm river, or a wild ride? I was in one of those wild ride ones, out in the high water mountains of California, and when they gave me the life jacket to to put on, I snugged it what I thought was was tight, but the uh, whitewater guide came over and lifted it up a little bit and he says, that's not tight enough and and, uh, tightened it so tight I could barely breathe. I said, does it have to be this tight? He said, if you fall off in a class three or class four, God forbid class five, you'll be glad it's this tight. I said, okay. And by the way, he said, if you fall out, breathe air, not water. (laughs) I thought, that is asinine. What a stupid thing to say. I fell out in a class three, class four. And thank God that thing was on tight because the thing was, water was, was all over the place. And then suddenly I'm about to take a breath and a wave hits me and I breathe in water and I thought, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> I, breath, I, I, I breathed out the water, went to breathe again and another wave hit me and another wave and another wave. I thought, I may drown in this thing. And then I, I, he, he said... One other thing that gave me comfort. He says, don't try to get down down, back to the raft. We'll pick you up at the end. I thought, I may be dead, but they'll pick (laughs) me up at the end. At least they'll have my body. It was comforting to have that with me. The Spirit of God is with us. Through all the white waters of life. He's also in us. Why does he need to be in us if he's with us? You know what God's biggest problem is for with us? We, you know, are God's problem children. Every one of us is one of God's problem children. And his biggest problem is with the human heart. The Anglican reformers at the uh, the Anglican theologians at the time of the Reformation had a saying. They said, what the heart desires the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart desires, what the heart yearns for, what the heart meditates upon, what the heart considers over and over and over, sooner or later, the will chooses. And once the will is chosen, what the heart desires, the mind will go to work to justify what the will chose and the heart desired. Long before I was your age, I came home from school one day. In those days, the back door was left unlocked. Usually my mother was there, but she was not there this day. And I walk into the back door, and as soon as I walk in the back door, I smell the aroma of freshly baked cookies. And like one of those cartoons, I guess they still have these cartoons. They have a a person being dragged along by his nose by a scent, by vapors. I was dragged into the kitchen against my will. (laughs) And there on the counter was a fresh, delicious looking plate of freshly baked cookies with a sign Do not eat. There were the ladies' group at the church. I thought, Why should those ladies get all the cookies? (laughs) So I ate one. And another. And another. And then went out to play with my friends. About an hour later, my mom comes home. She comes out on the back porch. She yells out, Mark Joseph. You know, when they say your middle name, it's either really good or really bad. Mark Joseph, get in here. So I came, she said, did you eat some of those cookies? I said, I may have had one. <laughs> one? Well, mom, I don't know, two or three. You know, I'd, still a lot left. She said, there's just enough for each of the ladies to have one. Well, mom, maybe you should have put that on the sign. <laughs> Young man, go to your room. Your dad will be talking with you later today. That's the old days of Oz- Ozzie and Harriet, I know. <laughs> but what the heart desired, the will chose, and then the mind went to work to justify. So the heart needs to be transformed. Theologians call that regeneration, the transformation of the heart. It begins at one point, it is dramatic, spiritually speaking. But it's a lifelong process. The Spirit of God will be in you and with you. And then Jesus said, after his resurrection, and before the day of Pentecost, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so that's part of what this service is all about. The Holy Spirit coming upon you to release in you power to be witnesses for him. So that's the third thing I do. The fourth thing I do is I give you a slight tap on the cheek. I know that some of the brothers have warned you that there is perhaps that you're going to get a real whack. And so sometimes I see them I see embracing themselves. It won't be like that at all. I don't care what the rumors have to the contrary. It's a, it's a slap on the cheek to remind you that this world is not a friend to the grace of God, but the grace of God in you is the best friend this world has. When the world curses, we bless. When it resents, we forgive. When it persecutes, we rejoice. Greater is he, the spirit of God in you, than any power in the world. And then I take your face in my hands, and I want to see you the way God sees you. Because all kinds of people in this world will see you through your mistakes, your failures, your defeats, your foolishness, your idiocies, and your stubbornness. You know how I know that? I'm married. And in September 8th, I will have been married 50 years. My wife is right over there against the wall. And anyway, there are times that she and I will get into an argument. And right in the midst of the argument, one of us will reach back for something that happened 30 years ago and throw it up into the conversation. You want to say, what's going on here? We're talking about something that happened five minutes ago and now you're reminding me of what I did 30 years ago? You know, the Bible has a word for that. The Bible calls that satanic. (laughs) Satan, the name Satan means the accuser of God's people. And he loves to take something out of your past and throw it up in your face and remind you of it to intimidate, to defeat, to discourage, to overwhelm, and to burden you. He might even do it before this service is over. And what Jesus did when that happened is get behind me, Satan. You do not think like God. You think like a man or a woman. So I want to see the way God sees you. Because he doesn't do that. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. Now, he may bring things to your mind that you need to repent of. To say you're sorry about. Or remind that you need to give an apology to someone. But that is what the Spirit of God does, because he convicts of sin, but the enemy, your Satan, uses that to condemn you. And the difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan is the devil condemns and the Spirit convicts that he might set you free. So I take your face in my hands, and I want to see you the way God sees you. Because he sees you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ those five things. So that's the second actor. You are the third actor in this drama. And what is your action to be today? You will take upon yourself the vows that were made for you at your baptism. And the first vow was that you will renounce Satan... Or the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. You know, a lot of people think the spiritual world is all good. But it's not. The spiritual world, just like this physical world, is a perpetual battle of good and evil. There is evil in the spiritual world. There is evil in the physical world. Sometimes the evil in the spiritual world affects the evil in the the physical world. There is good in the spiritual world. And always, the good in the spiritual world is at work affecting the good in the physical world. And one of the bad things in the spiritual world is the devil... And all those spirits that rebel against God. And you're going to be asked to renounce them in the name of Jesus Christ. The second thing you're asked to renounce is the deceitful powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. Do any of you have younger brothers or sisters? Okay. Have you ever seen something at work in the life of your brother or sister among his or her peers that was leading them in the wrong direction? Perhaps you could even see it in an older brother or sister. When I was in the fourth grade and my older brother was in the eighth grade, I saw him going down a wrong path. It went from sneaking out and smoking cigarettes to smoking marijuana to taking LSD to taking heroin that led to him to go to jail that led to him after that to be involved in the manslaughter of another human being. And I saw it begin and didn't say anything about it. For years. It was at my Christian conversion. At the age of 21. That I realized I could no longer be a bystander. In the challenges of life. And that I needed to intervene. In his life. Because my parents didn't understand. The fullness of what they were dealing with. The evil deceitful. Powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the children of God. And you probably have friends that you already see a pathway emerging in their life. And you may be at times tempted to follow in that way in your own fashion. And you're being asked to renounce that right now, this morning. And to recognize its power. That never ends. No matter how old you get. There are always the diseases of this world. Which pressure you. In ways that are not for your good. And not for the good of your family and your loved ones. It never ends. That peer pressure. And the pressures of this world. I renounce that. And then, the third thing you have to renounce is sinful desires within you that corrupt and destroy your own life. Dwight Moody, an evangelist many years ago, once said he had more trouble with Dwight Moody than any other man he knew. (laughs) And I have more trouble with Mark Lawrence than any other person I know. And so does my wife, Allison. Allison. So I'm asked to renounce the sinful desires from within me that would lead me along the wrong pathway. And then to turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as my Lord and Savior. And to realize that through the word of God, I have the revelation of how to live. You know, there's all kinds of lifestyles out there in the world today. Everybody is speculating on what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is not truth. It's either speculation in this life or it's revelation of what God has revealed about how to live. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so you're asked essentially to say, as for me and myself, we will live by the truth that God has revealed to us not by the speculations of fools. So that's uh, what your role is, and to be open to the role of the fourth actor in this drama. And the fourth actor in this drama is the Holy Spirit. And he has one purpose in your life, is to enable you to live with the joy of Jesus Christ in your life and to bear witness to him in the world. For a Christian is a person fully alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And one of the things that he wants to remind you of is what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'd like to conclude with a story that some of you have heard me, especially adults, have heard me share that I think illustrates what this is all about. Most of you have seen a sign, perhaps at a football game or on the television screen at a football game of John 3.16. And perhaps you even know the the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But somehow or another, we hear that so often, we don't really get the gravity of it. So I like to tell this story to, to get at it. And it's about a man named George Harley that lived in the first decades... Of the 20th century, which now is a hundred years ago. And he at the age of thirty-five had five earned degrees. He had a degree in anthropology, a degree in sociology, a degree in theology. He was a medical a medical doctor. And he had an advanced degree in the diseases of the tropics all by the time he was 35. And he and his wife, Winifred, who was seven months pregnant, they sensed that God was calling them to be medical missionaries to Africa. And so they got on a boat around 1910 and sailed across from North Carolina to a place that we think of today as Liberia. Can you all hear me okay? Because I notice this is cutting out. Um, You can hear me in the back? And they went into an area where no white man had ever been before. And one day when they were making their way through the jungles, they stopped to set up camp, and Winifred said to George, Don't look now, George. There are faces behind those trees. George said, don't worry. God is with us. God will take care of us. The next day, they went a little further and they came to a bend in the river where there was a, a, a village. And they both sensed through the Spirit of God that this is where they should do their ministry. And so they built three huts. One hut in which to live one hut to be a medical dispensary, and one hut they called the worship hut. They began their ministry. They'd been doing the ministry for three years. Every day, people would come to the medical hut for treatment, but come worship. The only ones were there was, were George, Winifred, and soon their little boy Robert was born. After three years, George was working one day in the medical hut, and he looked out of the window, and he saw his son, Robert, run and stumble and fall. He got up and ran and stumbled and fell again. George said, oh, no, not my boy, Robert. The tropics have gotten to him. George said, I I ran out of the hut, scooped him up, Brought little Robert back, laid him on the table, and I said, don't worry, Robert. Your father has five earned degrees. He will find out what's wrong. George said, I reached back for everything I knew, but I presided over the death of my boy, thousands of miles from my home in Norwood, North Carolina. Winifred and I, we, we built a little box. We put some African leaves in it. And we put our little boy Robert in it. And we covered it up. Now I picked up the box. And Winifred and I were making our way out to the burial ground. When we passed the blacksmith shop, And the African blacksmith said, what do you got there? I said, I got my boy, Robert. The African said, I'll help you. carry." Three years. Three years we had been there. And that was the first offer of help we had received. George and Winifred... And the blacksmith, they made their way out to the burial ground. George said, we dug a little hole, and we put the casket in it. We covered it up, and George said, I made a makeshift cross, and I stuck it in the ground on that little pile of dirt. And I tried to say some prayers, and I was so overcome with grief, I collapsed and was weeping like a child for the past, my little, my head under that little cross, and I heard the blacksmith running back to the village. He was yelling at the top of his lungs, white man, white man, white man, he cried like one of us. He cried like one of us. That next Sunday, George said, Winifred and I, we dragged ourselves to the worship hut expecting no one to be there. And the whole village was there. The next Sunday, the whole village was there. And that's the way it was from that time on. George was in the United States doing missionary furlough and he told that story as part of the sermon and as people were going out one man stopped to shake George's hand and said Dr. Harley that was a powerful story you told but you know what bothered me about that story and George said no what you had to give up your son in order to break through to the people and George looked at him with penetrating eyes and he said, God, that's what God had to do too. God so loved the world that he gave up his son in order to break through to the people. And those people are you and me. And every tribe, people from every tribe, language peoples, ethnic groups, and nations. That he might make a kingdom of priests to serve our God. So I make the sign of the cross on your forehead to remind you of what it costs God. So, the Spirit of God, the fourth actor in today's drama... Is, will be at work in your life to bring you to the fullness of love. For as Peter said in today's reading, though you have not seen him, you love him. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. God bless you. See you in there.